Our scripture reading today is from Genesis 18, verses 1 through 15, and it can be found on page 12 in your pew Bible. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, there were three men standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a son now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Amen. Look how everyone laughed at that point. That's great. <laughs> Well, good morning. It is um, a real pleasure to be able to bring the Word of God to you this morning. Uh, my wife Megan and I have been members of this church since 2017, and it just continues to be a gift to us and a real source of encouragement and, uh, and blessing. So um, it's, it's a real honor to be able to bring the Word of God to you today. Uh, let me begin with a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for gathering your people this morning. Lord, as we gather, we come to hear from you. Lord, I just invite your Holy Spirit to come and to work in each heart. Lord, in the words of this passage, Lord, would we hear the words of our great shepherd? Lord, would you speak to each one as we need to hear? Lord, for those who need to be encouraged, would you encourage them? Those who need to be comforted, would you comfort those who need your gentle, loving rebuke? Would we hear it and would we respond to it, Lord? We are yours. Do with us as you will. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as you know, this is the first Sunday of January of our new year, 2024. Some of you may have set New Year's resolutions. I'm not sure— um, how many of you, but, you know, perhaps you 
set a few goals for yourself for this year. Um, you know, common ones might be to eat a little better, to eat a little less, maybe to uh, watch a little less Netflix, to laugh a little bit more, to spend more time with those who you love. And I want to propose uh, a New Year's resolution for, for you and for all of us, which comes from the Lord, which is not to neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Not to neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Now, I recognize that most of us are Americans, right? And we've all been trained from childhood, don't talk to strangers, okay? So automatically, you may, <laughs> you may be getting concerned about where this message is going. And I assure you, it's going there. Um, but as we explore this idea, I want to I wanna say, first of all, this isn't just my idea. This isn't just, oh, Jonathan and Megan, they love to travel. They love to meet strangers. This is something they do. This is actually something from the Word of God. Hebrews 13, 2. It says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. So this is the Lord's idea, and this is his word for us this morning. Now, you may hope in some way that, oh, okay, maybe hospitality is limited to the extroverts among us, or those who are gifted in hospitality, but I have bad news for you, which is nowhere in Scripture does it say that hospitality is for the extroverts or being introverted or extroverted, or those who have homes that look like they're right out of, you know, the fixer-upper. This is something for all of us, and it's something more profound than just entertaining guests in our home. Now, I know you may feel like welcoming strangers to your home could be unsafe. It could feel strange, abnormal. But I want to encourage you that our sense of normal— is not always God's normal. And that in some ways, our norms have been culturally defined in this Western world, in this American culture in which we, we dwell. And it, there's nothing like traveling to another culture to, to see your own culture more clearly and to see some of the strengths and the weaknesses in your own culture. And as you know, Megan and I had the privilege of traveling to the Middle East this summer, and it was an eye-opening experience for us in, in the best of ways. We loved experiencing hospitality at a new level. But I hope that as we look at this passage, you'll see that hospitality is, is something that's not just a cultural thing. It's not just something that extroverts do, but it's actually at the very heart of our faith. Because welcoming us is at the very center of God's plan. Every page— of scripture is an invitation to dwell with God forever. Let me read that again. Every page of scripture is an invitation to dwell with him forever. And even Jesus himself says, I go to prepare a place for you. Hospitality is at the heart of God's vision for the world and for us. We see God's stunning plan to make strangers into friends and friends into family. 
So as we look at this passage today, I want to look at a couple things. I want to look at specifically at <clears throat> what the author in Hebrews has in mind, then explore the blessing that comes with hospitality. <clears throat> Some reasons we neglect to show hospitality, and a few suggestions for taking practical steps. So let's, let's jump, jump into it. Hebrews 13. I'm going to read 1 through 3. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. So we see in this passage there's this ra these rapid-fire exhortations, right? To brotherly love, to hospitality to strangers, to visiting those in prison. And let me just say, when it says visiting those in prison, at, at the heart of that, I think in this context, was probably— Christians who were imprisoned for their faith and to visit them was actually to expose yourself as being of like mind with them of also carrying the faith which in in that sense there was a sense of risk to visiting those in prison you yourself could be apprehended and potentially imprisoned but we see at the beginning there's this exhortation to brotherly love and in a scriptural context this means the active selfless lived out care for fellow believers. This kind of behavior is actually frequently mentioned in the Bible as a hallmark of genuine Christian faith. You want to see someone who's a follower of Christ. You want to see someone who's a Christian. Look for someone who is living in brotherly love towards other believers, and that will give you a good hint at where they stand with the Lord. Second, we come to the verse. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And so immediately you can see in the first verse, he's talking about brotherly love, probably referencing how we treat those we know. And in the second verse, he's saying, welcome strangers, referring to those we don't know or don't yet know. Now, in the first century, there probably, uh, there really weren't hotel chains, right? When I travel, I usually get on Expedia, and I'm looking at what are my options for accommodations. In the first century, they didn't have that. And so you can imagine people traveling across the Roman Empire traveling to cities where they've never visited, and needing a place to stay that's safe, that's protected, that's free from um, risk and, and danger. And so it was particularly meaningful for early Christians to be able to invite in other Christians who were traveling and to offer them accommodation um, when they were passing through. Um, but I don't think this is specifically just limited to other Christians. It, there's a very clear distinction here between the brotherly love that they're showing to the family of faith, but then also welcoming strangers. And so it includes those who are outside of our family of faith as well. Um, and, uh, and, and indicating that's profoundly meaningful. Um, it involves oftentimes meals, um, eating together, or lodging as well, or short-term accommodation. Now, what's fascinating about this <coughs> passage is— not only it's it's a little countercultural for us to welcome strangers, but the why is also really pretty wild. So as we're reading this, we're reading, you know, welcome strangers, right? Care for the needs of strangers. And you would think that the reason the author gives would be because it's it's the right thing to do, right? Or because um, you know, do good to others, and, and hopefully they will do good to you. Maybe they'll reciprocate when you're traveling, and you'll have an expanded network of, of people around the world that you can stay with, or, or, you know, and 
putting in other terms, Eastern terms, it's karma, right? You care for someone and maybe that good work will come back to you in exchange. That's not where the author goes, okay? He goes somewhere really wild, which is he says, welcome strangers because by doing so, some have welcomed messengers from God. In other words, some, are, some have welcomed angels. Now, the reason I had um, the passage read from Genesis earlier is because I think in some ways the author is probably referring back to Abraham's encounter with the angel of the Lord, um, which, we, which uh, Sue just read for us. Um, Abraham saw strangers passing by. He urged them to come in, right? Um, he provided with them with the best hospitality, right? And he discovered that in the course of that, that this was the angel of the Lord, um, a manifestation of God himself to him. And I think where the author is going with this is he wants to elevate our curiosity and our even our excitement. Things, exciting things happen. Exciting things happen when we're willing to open the door to strangers, when we're willing to welcome them to come in. He's saying that God is active when we do that. There is something uh, supernatural that we can often encounter as we are willing to take steps of faith to welcome others. I've, I've had a few experiences. I don't think I've encountered any angels, but um, one of the memories I have is early on, this was when Megan and I were first married, um, I was working as a recruiter at a staffing agency, and I got a call from a man looking for work, and I welcomed him to come into the, our, our office and apply for a job. He did, and I just immediately had this sense of love for this person. He was um, a, a recent immigrant from the Congo um, named Paccio, and uh, he was gracious, he was grateful, and I just thought, I want to help this guy. Well, he left, and a few weeks later, um, I, I found a job for him, so I called him and said they would like to interview you, and he said, okay, I'm in Cincinnati with my family, but I'll come up for the interview. And there was something in that moment that I just felt in my spirit. I want to ask if he needs a place to stay. I'd never done that with any of the other um, people that had applied for work, and I never, I didn't, did not tell my boss because I thought she might think it was slightly, slightly unprofessional. But I just thought, you know, he needs accommodation. And so I, I mentioned to him, when you come, my wife and I would be happy for you to stay in our home with us in, uh, at the time in Cam's Corner while you're here. <clears throat> so he said, well, thank you so much. You know, that's incredibly kind. So he came for the interview. He arrived at our house. Now, all that afternoon, I was freaking out. I had second thoughts about it, and I was like, what did I just do? I still, to this day, am shocked that Megan was on board with this idea. Um, <clears throat> I thought, I don't know this guy. He could rob us. He could, you know, steal the candlestick, so to speak, from Les Mis. He could do anything. You know, I could be going to work the next morning, and he's still there, and Megan's there at home with him, and like, is, is, is she in danger? What, what, what are we doing? And I just remember praying about it and just saying, Lord, we are yours. This is your home. You know, would you protect us? So um, Patio arrives that evening, and he's standing in our kitchen, and we're starting to get to know each other. And <clears throat> I still remember the moment when I asked him, so what's bringing you to Cleveland, you know, from Cincinnati? And he, and he just said, well, before I get to that, while we're moving, I just need to tell you, I am a Christian. And I prayed, and I asked God, 
what, where do you want me to go? Because we needed to relocate, and I just felt like I was supposed to come to Cleveland and look for work. And immediately, there was just this sense of awe in my heart at what God had done. Because here was a brother in Christ <clears throat> who was trying to take steps of faith the best he knew how, needing accommodation. He had actually—the previous time he had come, I learned he had slept in his car. And here I was, and the Lord put it on our hearts to welcome him in and provide accommodation. And, and as we got to know him, we were blessed by his friendship. And um, I still remember Megan a few days later, as he, as he said, I don't have money to, to give you, but I want to pray for you. And he prayed for us, and, and his prayer was just so full of the fragrance of God. I still remember Megan saying, are you an angel? <laughs> and, and as only Megan can. And her heart of expectation for the Lord and what he was doing, it was, he, he assured us he wasn't, but it was just, it was just a gift. I'm just going to keep telling stories. I, another time, I was driving on 77, saw a hitchhiker, someone walking on the inside of the, of the road, it just felt like I was supposed to pull over. Pulled over, and they were wearing a heavy winter coat. Turns out it was a woman. She was about 15 years older than I was at the time. I was like maybe 25. She was probably around 40. And <clears throat> she got in the car. And I asked her what her needs were and where she needed to go. It turns out she had just been released from prison. She was in prison for shoplifting, and she was a professional shoplifter. And she had got been released no, despite her best efforts. No one came to pick her up. And she said, I prayed. And I asked the Lord to send me someone to give me a ride home. And then you stopped. As I got to know this woman um, was able to help her, she had grown up in a Christian family and had later embraced a lesbian lifestyle, and then a life of crime. And as we built a relationship, I asked if she would like to come to church, and she said yes. And she began coming to church, and she also came to our small group and experienced the love of the Christians around her. And a few weeks later, she, at our Sunday service, she um, re-surrendered her life to Christ. Now, I'm not saying that the next hitchhiker you see, that you should stop, okay? What I am challenging you to is just to really, really hear the Word of God. Show hospitality to strangers, for some have entertained angels without knowing it. When we extend hospitality to strangers, there is a sense of expectation that I believe God wants us to feel of divine activity, that God is present, that in opening our doors to a stranger, we may encounter something of God from with, regardless of who he brings to our door. The implication is that by failing to welcome strangers, we may be missing out on some of the most beautiful and life-transforming encounters with people 
and with the Lord that we will ever experience. This isn't the only place in Scripture where, where Jesus or where the Word of God connects hospitality with divine encounters. In Matthew 25, as you know, it says, Jesus says um, to the righteous, this is at, at the judgment day, right? He's speaking, he says, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, feed you, thirsty, and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to some of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. Jesus identifies with him, with the stranger. Jesus identifies with those who are most vulnerable. And I will tell you that working with international students, I get to see people in a very vulnerable moment of their lives. Because when you arrive in a new culture, in a new unfamiliar place, a new language, new demographics, everything is new. You don't know what is normal. You don't know what is safe. You don't know where you should go and not go. You don't know whether something's a good deal or whether they're ripping you off. And there's a million things that you and I know about this community that will trigger for us if something's wrong in a relationship. Something's wrong with someone we're talking to. I can't trust this person for this reason. He's trying to rip me off right now. This isn't normal. They don't have that sense of perception. They don't know what's normal, so they don't know when they could easily be taken advantage of. And so we have the privilege then of welcoming them. And in welcoming them, Jesus is saying, you are welcoming me. I remember a moment, and I'm, I hope I don't embarrass anyone here, um, but I remember a moment eight years ago where um, I was hosting a, an international dinner, and I had a bunch of my Arab Muslim um, international students and a bunch of Americans, and we were just sitting down and enjoying a feast together. And we had ordered food from one of the great restaurants in the Arabic restaurants in the area, and they had sent their driver to drop off the food. And I still remember, um, his name was Hussein. I still remember him walking through the door and being shocked by what he saw. And his words were, I've been in the U.S. for years, and I've been waiting to see something like this. And I'm still waiting, and now I walk in, and here it is, Arabs, immigrants, and Americans sitting down and enjoying each other's company and feasting together. Can I go home and bring my wife? And we said, you know, of course, bring your wife. And it didn't work out for her to come that night, but a friendship began. And years later, then he ended up going back to Iraq for a season, but years later, um, the Lord brought us back into each other's lives, and we've enjoyed friendships. And actually, Hussein is here today. And his sister, Rua, and her husband, Ali, are here today. They're part of our community group, and they are gifts to us. Not just Rua's cooking, which is unbelievable. The favorite on the buffet every week, but they are gifts to us from God. And they shared with us that they have felt such pain at being in another society away from family, but that 
God has used our group to help them feel like they have family here in Cleveland. This is what, this is what God does. He takes those who are strangers, and he makes them friends. And then he makes us family. And it's not just internationals who need hospitality. I read this a report from last year. It's, uh, this is from 23. It says, Today, United States Surgeon General Vivek Murtha released a new Surgeon General's advisory calling to attention the public health crisis of loneliness, isolation, and lack of connection in our country. Even before the onset of COVID-19 pandemic, approximately half of U.S. adults reported experiencing measurable levels of loneliness. Disconnection fundamentally affects our mental health, physical, and our societal health. In fact, loneliness and isolation increase the risk of ind for individuals to develop a mental health challenges in their lives. And lacking connection can increase the risk of premature death to levels comparable to smoking daily. This is why I say, when we think of what is normal in our society, to welcome strangers isn't normal. But our society's understanding of normal is plunging us on a downward spiral of loneliness, of isolation, of depression, and technology is only expediting that process. And our society, including the Surgeon General of the U.S., doesn't know how to stop it. But Jesus' people do. Jesus' people do. Hospitality is the antidote to loneliness and isolation. Hospitality is not just about entertaining guests. It's about creating a sense of belonging in, and community. A man named Joshua Jipp, a professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, in his book, uh, Saved by Faith and Hospitality, he, he argues uh, this. He says, I argue that there's a pattern that pervades the Christian scriptures. That can be summarized in this way. God's hospitality elicits human hospitality. Stated another way, humanity's fundamental problem is that it's alienated from God and from one another. God's hospitality, made known climactically in Jesus, transforms us into friends. This divine hospitality demands that God's people be characterized by friendship with one another and ever seeking to extend this welcome to others. This is what we get to be part of in the world. This is what God is calling his people to be. I want to look briefly at just a few of the reasons that sometimes we, we don't do this, because just like they could neglect it in the first century, we can neglect it today. One is that we're busy. We've prob there's probably never been a busier society than we are today. And to that, I just want to say something very simple. You are not a victim of your calendar. You control your calendar. 
you have been given 24 hours each day to steward your time. And I want to ask you, will you pray and ask the Lord, how do you want me to spend the time in my day most strategically? And it could be that the Lord asks you to set aside time, maybe even it's just once a week, maybe Sunday afternoons after church, to take time to welcome someone you don't know. Secondly, sometimes we just don't like people, okay? Let's, let's be honest. This is my own story. Um, I will say that when I was in college, I would arrive late to church and leave early because I hated the small talk before and after the service. It was awkward, always awkward for me, okay? Later, this is how the Lord has grown my introvert self. A few years later, I'm, I'm engaged to Megan, and Saturday mornings were my alone time with the Lord. And I would just take that time to debrief, to decompress, to spend time in prayer and in scripture. And Megan would call. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? What are you thinking about? And I would get frustrated. Really, really frustrated. I wanted that time. I was like, babe, this is my time alone. And I went to my pastor, and he wisely said, do you believe that the Lord is bringing you and Megan together for marriage? And I said, yes, I do. And he's like, next time you hear that ring of your phone, tell yourself, this is a call from God. Pick it up. <laughs> Welcome her into your space. Welcome your, her into your life. And um, what a gift she has been, and I've never regretted that. Another thing that we can often feel is that people can be exhausting. And what I have found is the same pastor wisely asked me, why is it tiring for you to be with people? And I didn't have a good answer, but he did, which was, are you trying to be someone you're not? Are you trying to impress are you trying to be the most interesting person in the room? Because that is exhausting. But if we are humble, if we can be ourselves, if we can say, I don't have everything, I don't have answers, but what I have is myself to give to this person in this moment. God takes that and he uses that. And amazingly, we find ourselves refreshed by being with others. Rosaria Butterfield says, Hospitality shares what there is That's all It's not entertainment And it's not supposed to be Hospitality shares what there is And it recognizes that everything we are And everything we have Ultimately it belongs to the Lord One thing we love to do in our home When we have guests that come and stay with us Is one of I, In our first encounters with them I just try to say this home does not belong to us. It belongs to God, and we will seek to welcome everyone he brings to our door. We don't have a lot, but what we have, God is calling us to share. I want to offer close with a few practical suggestions for this, because I don't think this is meant to be something overwhelming. I think this is meant for, to be something exciting. By welcoming strangers, you don't know what's around the corner. You don't know what's going to come at you or who God's going to bring through your door, but I guarantee there's, it's probably going to be exciting. I want to encourage you, if you're, if you're wondering, how do I take steps in this area? I have so many examples just within this congregation of 
beautiful hospitality. There are families and couples and individuals here that will take time after the service to just simply invite someone out to lunch. Would you like to get Chipotle with us? Would you like to try out this restaurant? Would you like to get coffee? Would you like to come to our home? So, so simple. And yet a beautiful step towards hospitality. What about carpooling with people? Maybe the next time you're driving to an event or a work function or an activity or a sporting event for your children, simply ask another family or another individual, say, hey, would you like to ride together? What about when you're sitting at your child's practice? Have you ever considered, and I'm, I'm speaking to myself here, I'm not a pro at this. Have you ever considered asking someone to come and sit with you? You're there, stuck for an hour, two hours, watching a practice. What about exercising hospitality even in the, those moments? I have gotten, I don't know why, I was not emotional in the first service. I'm emotional in the second service. You guys must be praying for me. I have gotten calls from members of this church saying, we have a guest room. We have an in-law suite. We want to use it for the kingdom of God. How can you use it? Can you use it for international students? And then have warmly welcomed people into their home, internationals into their home, to stay for temporary periods of time, which has been a huge blessing. The list could go on and on and on. Hospitality doesn't need to be exhausting. It can be a beautiful expression of faith, and it can be a beautiful way to participate in what God wants to do to reach our world with his love. In closing, here's a, um, a paragraph that I found helpful. From the beginning to the end of the Bible, and in the writings from the early church, we see God taking the role of a generous host, inviting strangers to find their place with him. Time and again, Jesus displayed abundant hospitality through everyday acts of welcome and supernatural provision. But his greatest act of hospitality was opening wide the gates of the kingdom of God, where all people, no matter where they come from, can call on his name and be welcomed in.